Welcome to the Wildverse podcast, where we introduce you to the wild world of taxidermy, a place where artists and hunters collide. I'm Heather. And I'm Ashley. And uh, for this week's episode, we're just going to cover a bit of the questions that we get asked pretty often as taxidermists. Yeah, a little bit of taxidermy, FAQ, frequently asked questions. And a lot of these questions, like we get as taxidermists, we also get these a lot on social media, just, you know, general taxidermy questions. Some of these questions might be more basic, but if you already know the answer to these questions, maybe the answer will give you ideas on how to answer when people ask you. Because after all, these are frequently asked questions. Yeah, there's a lot of those questions you get asked that you're not really quite sure how to answer. And sometimes once you hear it come from somebody else, you're like, ah, that's the perfect way to answer that one. Put that in the bank, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, for instance, number one is the question, what is taxidermy? So literally, taxidermy is the art of preserving an animal's body by mounting or stuffing for the purpose of display or study. That comes right from Wikipedia. Okay. The word taxidermy is derived from the Greek words taxi or taxis, which means arrangement, and derma, which means skin. So taxidermy translates literally to arrangement of skin. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good way of piecing it together. I know uh, just that first part, taxi, I have had many people call me as a tax service or a taxi cab company. <laughs> I guess they see it in the phone book and they're not quite sure what that is. One of my favorite like mix-ups people get is, uh, you know, I say, oh, I do taxidermy. Oh, you're a tax attorney? No. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you say it fast enough, it kind of sounds like that. Yeah. Or like countless people think, oh, you do taxes or you, you work for H&R Block? Like, yeah. no. Gosh, I wish I knew how to do my taxes. <laughs> uh, they're tricky. We don't specialize in that. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, so taxidermy, it literally just means arrangement of skin. And like I said, it's the process of mounting or stuffing over like an armature to portray an animal in a lifelike state. So it's an art. It's a science. You know, it's for museums in order to, you know, study these animals. It's kind of cool. Like there is some taxidermy of extinct animals, so we can still kind of have you know, a display of an animal that we can look at and study even after they're gone. Yeah, that's a good, a really good purpose for taxidermy. I mean, of course, it's cool getting your mounts done of your trophy that has a great story behind it. But like you said, there's some extinct animals that the only way we can even see what they look like other than maybe pictures. And some of them, I think, were before pictures were really a thing. So that's a a neat way that taxidermy can kind of show people some science. Yeah. Oh, side note real quick. It made me think of it. There's this little penguin that's like native to somewhere in the Arctic and it's extinct and, or it's not a penguin. It's like, um, I'm going to fudge the name. Let me look it up real quick. Okay. You're not talking about a dodo bird? No, it's um, it's like a little <laughs> penguin looking thing. Oh, it's an auk. Okay. So I just looked it up and it's called an auk or the great auk. It looks like a penguin, but it's Not, I think, or, you know, I could be lying actually, but anyway, it's classified as extinct, but they do have taxidermy specimens of this animal still. So I think that's really cool. I never heard of that. Now, maybe if you guys stay tuned and stay, stay vigilant, that might be a, uh, a good, uh, a trivia question. (laughs) Oh yeah. Good call. We can have a call back. I don't think I'm going to remember that. (laughs) All right. Question number two. What do you do with the excess skin? This is probably one of the most common questions I get asked on my uh, TikToks when I post about an animal. What do you do with the excess skin? 
Yeah, I guess doing shoulder mounts, you get a lot of excess skin. So I can see that being something that they wonder about. Yes, it's a super common question because I'm, you know, I'm showing that I'm cutting off the excess skin in the back of the shoulder mount, like you said. What do we do with it? Well, typically there's not enough material to do anything with necessarily. How would you answer that? So I know there's a couple different ways. Most of it gets thrown away. I mean, like if it's deer excess hide, it gets thrown away because as you know, and as other taxidermists know, uh, it's a wet tan, wet tans, when they dry, they get pretty hard, like stiff. Like I've made a couple pillows out of like moose hide or like kind of cool hides and they're nice for like decoration, but they're just so stiff. Right. I think people have the perception that it's like a nice soft tan and it's really not. It's like yeah. It'll dry like cardboard. So unfortunately, there's not a lot that you can do with it. So a lot of it does get thrown away. Some of the bigger pieces I like to save just in case, like you're saying, make something out of them like pillows. But I do have like a whole bag full of excess skins that I just have never done anything with. So uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do. No, I know we give a bit to a fly tying guy. Just, oh, there you go. You know, just random hides, like hides like fur and hair he'd never get to work on, like, you know, kudu and nyala and caribou and things that like he just isn't going to typically get to tie flies with so that's a good way if you know anybody who does that they'll take whatever you got yeah i'd like to repurpose them however i could or like give them to somebody like that but yeah it's it's kind of hard to do a lot with them yeah but no that's cool if i could find a fly fisherman to send these to i would (laughs) there you go yeah it's a good way to use them so uh so we covered what happens with the excess skin a question that I've been asked and and when people ask me what one of the silliest questions is I've been asked is uh, what happens to the meat when you want to have an animal taxidermied, which when you look at it that way and ask it that way, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, people bring their animal to be taxidermied and they wonder, like, can I get my meat? Can like, is it what's going to happen to it once it goes into the taxidermist? Yeah, I think you know, another misconception that people have, they're like, oh, all you used was the skin. You know, they they expect, you know, somehow the taxidermist preserves the whole body, you know, meat organs and all, which you can do in freeze drying, but freeze drying isn't like technically taxidermy kind of, I mean, it's taxidermy adjacent, right? And so, yeah, what happens to the meat when you want to have an animal taxidermied? You eat it. Yeah. (laughs) You you get to keep it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if people bring in a lot of times with turkeys is the most common one that you get asked, like, hey, can I have my breast meat back? Hey, can I have all of my meat back? You know, you have people bring you bears that are, you know, not skinned out. Of course, you can have your meat back. We'll skin it and you can come pick it up and take it. But, you know, Ashley, a lot of the deer that you get have a lot of neck roast left. Yes. That just gets thrown out. I am, I'm personally not eating anything that people brought me. I'm not saving it. I've heard some taxidermists, they're like, oh, well, there was a lot of meat left on there. I just grilled it up or whatever. And hey, that's fine. If you were, if you know kind of the customer, if you know how it was treated, maybe, but I am in the camp where no, I'll, I'll pass. Yeah. So, but yeah, people, they do leave a lot of neck meat on deer sometimes, which isn't totally a bad thing yet. Sometimes it is a lot and that could have been eaten. Yeah. But then again, too, a lot of those big old bucks are the ones they leave it on and I don't think they really want the neck roast from that anyways. True, true. But yeah, good question. So you keep the meat. <laughs> okay, let's move on to question four. What do you call taxidermied animals? Like, what do you refer to them as? Well, 
Let's see. <laughs> I call them mounts. I always say mounts or mounted. Um, that's just what I've been in the habit of. So I don't know. Is there any other thing that you've heard people call taxidermied animals? Oh, I guess not. I, I always call them mounts. You know, they're the taxidermy mounts, mounts. Um, I'm getting my mount back. Got my deer mount on the wall. Yeah. They're mounts. And because the process is, you know, you're mounting an animal mounting an animal on a mannequin yes yeah i feel like people in other countries probably call them something different i'd love to hear what that is if anybody would comment on this at all and inform us of what what uh, it's called in other countries that would be kind of neat but yeah if you see somebody with a mount on their wall you can be like oh cool mount and they'll be like oh you know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah another thing that a lot of people call a a taxidermied animal uh, would be question number five why is taxidermy called stuffed you know you'll go get your deer mounted taxidermy to be like i'm going to get my deer stuffed Uh, and then a lot of people are like oh look at all those stuffed animals you know and they're referring to taxidermy that is true that kind of goes into that question four about the taxidermied animals what do you think of when taxidermy is called stuffed like what do you think where do you think that derived from uh well i think and i tried to maybe explain to people like you know super old taxidermy was more likely stuffed like it was you know literally you had like a the skin it was kind of it was sewed up like a pillow sort of and you'd literally stuff the animal with cotton or paper and whatever so like to fill the void of the body it was literally stuffed you know versus the process now we mount the animals right so that's kind of what I think of. And unfortunately, like, it's like a vintage term, an antique term. Yeah. But it's still used so commonly in, you know, our common vernacular or whatever. So, yeah, I, I personally, I'm like, ah, stuffed, you know, <laughs> don't call it that. <laughs> I think of like a little plushy stuffed animal. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make you think of an art at all. It sounds really crude. <laughs> no, or like, um, for example, on TikTok again, everyone's like, not everyone on TikTok again, people go, I thought they were stuffed. People yeah. think they're like Build-A-Bear, but they're stuffed. <laughs> Man, that'd be great if it worked like that. <laughs> I know. You, you put the animal up to like a stuffing uh, Build-A-Bear machine and it just yeah. plumps it back up. Yeah, perfectly, perfect anatomy and everything. That would be fantastic. But it's, yeah, kind of an antique term. That's kind of where I think of it as. So unfortunately, stuffed is where it's commonly used, it's not correct. So I try not to ever use that word when I talk about taxidermy. Same. All right, let's go question number six. Do you have to go to college to become a taxidermist? So the answer to that would be no. But if you go back and look at and listen to episode number two, we really kind of cover everything that has to do with how you become a taxidermist and you can go to college there are college courses but no you do not have to go to college to become a taxidermist yep no college degree needed yep some states don't even require licenses so you're good to go <laughs> yeah and on that note you don't even have to go to taxidermy school but i do personally recommend it or go back to episode two and you'll learn all about like what we think about you know, taxidermy schools and all that as well. Exactly. Yeah. That kind of leads us into question number seven. Do you need a license to practice taxidermy? Yes. So that's another callback to episode two. We kind of cover that. But do you need a license? Uh, The answer is maybe, possibly, because about half the states require a taxidermy license in order to be in the business of doing taxidermy. 
And so we have that listed somewhere, I think, or maybe we can repost it, Heather, like our yeah. list that we found of like all the states that require licenses and stuff. So always check your local regulations because, for example, I'm in Oklahoma. I don't need a taxidermy license. Heather, you're in Pennsylvania. Yep. You need a license to do it. If you're under a shop, their license, you know, counts. But Pennsylvania does require licensing. This episode of Wildverse is sponsored by Pro One Performance Chemicals. Pro One specializes in tanning chemicals for the professional taxidermist. They offer a complete line of tanning products to provide you with everything you need to tan your next tide. I really like their Pro Max tan for my personal tanning projects. They make it so simple, it's easy to follow instructions printed right on the bottle. I actually used Pro One to tan the deer that I won with at Nationals, and I was using this same tan to tan some bobcats last week. It's super versatile. Not only does Pro One have you covered for all your tanning needs, they also sell Pro One Hide Paste, the industry standard in glue. Heather and I both use Pro One Hide Paste on every single mount. We love it. It has a thick consistency that makes it easy to apply to the form, yet it's soft and pliable enough that it can be easily manipulated under the skin after you throw the hide on. If you haven't tried Pro One Hide Paste, I am telling you, you are missing out. And now, as of 2024, you can order Pro One products directly online at ProOnePerformanceChemicals.com. That's P-R-O, the number one, PerformanceChemicals.com. All right. Question eight. Can you make a good living doing taxidermy? This is a loaded question. <laughs> I know. There is no right answer for this question. The answer, I mean, could you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely can, you know, if you if you run your shop well and you learn how to kind of budget and, you know, you remember you're paying taxes at the end of the year. You know, you can, I remember when I had my own shop, I mean, it was fine. Everything was good. You know, I made enough money to afford my decently nice truck and get, have a living and go on a couple of vacations a year. So I think it just depends on the shop. Yeah. I think some taxidermists aren't necessarily the best business people. And so if you have taxidermy business, you have to remember that you're a business person, maybe first before you're even a taxidermist. Sometimes, you know, those go like hand in hand, but if you work for somebody, obviously that's different and you probably could make a good living just, you know, depending on what your salary is and stuff. You know, I do taxidermy full-time run my own business and I live comfortably. So I could be working harder. In fact. Yeah. It all depends on how you, how you run your shop, how you, how much work you take in, like why it kind of, we'll have an episode on pricing at some point and, you know, kind of talk about all those, but if you have yourself priced well, you'll be fine. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, you totally can make a good living. Not all taxidermy businesses make it. And I think it's because, like I said, you know, maybe you weren't the best business person. Yes. It's hard. You know, we're artists and I know I struggle yeah. with that. Like I ran it, I ran it pretty good for a while. And it, I mean, it catches up with you, especially when, you know, you get swamped with work and so many people deal with that. You know, it's just, it's a hard, it's a really tough balance. It is. So yeah, it's difficult but not impossible. Yes, exactly. So question number nine would be, where do the animals come from that we mount? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I get this question a lot too. Where does this animal come from? Like, And the majority of the animals that I work on were hunted animals. Somebody went out and hunted an animal and they want to get part of it. They want to have part of it to display and the rest of the part they're most likely eating or doing something with the meat in some other fashion or they're doing it for, you know, wildlife conservation, something like that. 
So most of the animals that I work on hunted. Yeah, I would say that's that is the most the like the majority that taxidermists work on are animals from, you know, like you said, like conservation, you know, hunting. But the you do have those that people get roadkills mounted, they you know, science centers and stuff. A lot of times it's usually like birds and such, but those animals ran into windows or got hit by a car. They found it dead. There's not a lot of people that want to pay to get something that they just found dead mounted. Right. Or they, you know, something from like a zoo. Yes. Animals, you know, a lot of the exotic animals that you see, like, you know, there was a snow leopard at our last Oklahoma show mounted by Jerry Huffaker. And I believe that one came from some kind of zoo. You know, you can't hunt those. They're endangered. They're super endangered. It's not like he went out and hunted it, you know? So it's definitely from some kind of zoo or wildlife sanctuary, that stuff. Yeah, that's kind of a a good point, too, to kind of make people realize that it's not every time you see an animal that's mounted. It's not always something somebody shot. It just means that it died. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, animals have to die. And it's a nice way to utilize them, honor them. Yeah. Yeah. Let them do something other than just be worm food. Exactly. Question 10. What's the hardest animal to taxidermy and why? I guess we'd all have different answers for this. So (laughs) I'll go first. I would say the hardest animal... Oh, I don't even know how to answer this. It all depends. So like typically what I'm going to answer is the hardest animal is a freaking snowshoe hare. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them. But, you know, if you're a bird guy, you're going to probably say like a woodcock. They're really hard to mount. If I get a really horrible African skin, that's the hardest one to, to taxidermy. So that's kind of my two cents on it. What would you say? Um. Yeah, I mean, your answers are right along the lines of what I would say as well. I guess what comes to mind is like probably, you know, cats and canines. Those okay. are typically hard to mount because I got of you. like making them look good. Yes. Yeah. But- <laughs> I see. So you're talking about even hardest as in hardest to pull off versus yeah. not just hardest to even just put together. Yeah. So, you know, you can answer that both ways too, because, you know, what's the anim- hardest animal to make a look good? Like you said, pull off. Yeah, definitely, you know, cats and stuff, but hardest animal, you know, due to their, uh, you know, skin's elasticity and just being difficult. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. So that's, that's cool that we had two kind of different answers to that question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking of the, you know, just how the skin is and stuff, you know, cause snowshoe hairs and woodcocks are so delicate. It's like, I equate mounting a snowshoe hair to using wet tissue or maybe just tissue paper with wet cotton like glued to it oh oh it's just miserable yeah Yeah, I've never mounted you know even a rabbit but I've heard their skin is like paper thin yeah yeah they really suck then you say about hardest I think I would probably I would agree I would say not so much just cats as um I feel like bobcats are honestly yeah harder because of their hair patterns and all this all those spots and I also feel like red fox. Mm. Red fox are sometimes hard to pull off. Why would you say red fox as well? I don't know. There's just something about red fox. I think it depends on the form that you get. A lot of people shoot a red fox or trap a red, usually not trappers, but people who hunt red fox think it's beautiful. Like they saw this fox running through the field and they saw its white tip on its tail and just think it's gorgeous. And so they want to get it mounted. 
but a lot of the times they're not very nice. They're like, they're furred, not mm. well at all. They just got those this big ears, little faces. And if they're not furred nice, it, they're really hard to not make them look goofy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's true for like any, you know, people will shoot a red fox perhaps in like the summertime. And then like you're saying, they get so beautiful. And then when you know, it's mounted up. It's not going to look like those fluffy, beautiful mounts that you see that they're all like, you know, in their perfect winter hair coats. And yeah, so perhaps that. And then I have another tip or a, another, you know, tidbit about bobcats. I think they're so difficult to make them look exactly right because people know what cats look like and they're so similar to house cats, like in size and everything. So people have you know, not like a deer, you know, nobody's as uh, up close and personal to a deer as they are to like their little house cat or somebody's house yeah, cat. That's a good I point. I think that might be part of it. I don't know, just a theory. But Yeah, I think that's a pretty good theory. So since we answered kind of what's the hardest animal to taxidermy, uh, that leads us into question number 11. What is the easiest animal to taxidermy? I'm interested to hear what your answer is. Uh, so... I've thought about this question and I would probably say the easiest animal to just taxidermy would be a deer. Okay. And I say that for a few reasons. Probably the biggest one is that there is so much material out there in order to learn how to taxidermy a deer. You know, if you want to learn how to taxidermy a deer, there's a billion pieces of, you know, learning material, DVDs, look online. There's a million different mannequins that you can order to fit that deer perfectly correct so many different pieces of information to help you mount it. And then there's even reference pictures. There's like a ton of them out there. So as far as like gathering information and gathering materials and even getting a hold of a deer is pretty easy too. So that's probably why I say that one. But anyway, what do you say? <laughs> well, I had a different answer. <laughs> and now after hearing you say all those things, I'm like, well, I don't even know what the answer would be other than, you know, a deer. So I guess I will put a little twist on it and say, for mammal people, a deer would be the easiest. I would say, okay, I should say for game head people, deer would be the easiest. Yes, that's another thing. No feet. Yes. Bird people, I think a pheasant. I think a pheasant, I mean, I'm not a bird person, but from what I hear, pheasants are easy to get. Uh, the other animal, if you want to do like waterfowl, ruddy ducks, they say that their skin's like canvas. So they're easy to flesh, mm. easy to mount. Fish people, a pa I, I would guess probably a bluegill. I've heard those are kind of hard, actually, but uh, I, I, don't. I don't know personally. <laughs> I could be totally wrong. So I actually don't know. I guess I just think all the people that I see compete that are like beginners seem like they ended up like starting with bluegill. But I think mm, a lot you know, of them might have right. been like reproduction bluegill. That could be true. See, I, I have very, very limited fish knowledge. So you're yeah, probably same. correct. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, I guess then the last thing would be like life-size mammal people. Wow. Oh, I was going to say raccoon, but then you got to deal with their feet. Mm -hmm. So maybe like a little raccoon shoulder mount. That might be one of the easiest animals. Yeah. If you don't got to do their feet. That would be, that would be, if you want to start on fur bearers, that's kind of how I started was competing like with raccoons because I just thought they were easy. So yeah, you have that little raccoon head, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the him, the raccoon that I won national champion with, I sold, so I don't have that anymore, but oh, they know, were just uh, easy. Yeah. I've heard people say like, oh, you know, squirrels are easy to taxidermy, you know, and there's like, start with those. And I 
wouldn't recommend somebody really start with that unless you like, you know, the only reason that might be a good place to start is because they're so abundant and yeah, they're easy to and get. they're small. You don't need a lot of yeah. space. I know, but man, I dread squirrels. <laughs> no, they're actually kind of tricky. Those little tiny hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would say though, after all I say, all of that, if I would decide the easiest animal to taxidermy, if I have like the workload that week and I see this is coming up, I'm like, whew, that's easy. I would say a sheep shoulder mount, hmm. like big sheep. Interesting. They're just easy. They're fluffy. Yeah. They're not like little tiny ears and little tiny ear butts. Don't got to deal with the preorbital gland. Yeah. yeah. You got, you know, eyes and nose in your lip line and it just, they're easy. They're real quick to put together. So yeah, that would be my answers. Has a lot of answers to one question. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we're thorough. <laughs> Let's see. Let's move on to question 12. How does the skin not rot? Well, that shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me think on this a second. I was going to try to have some really like simple redneck answer to that. Um, <laughs> so I would say that the skin doesn't rot because you're tanning it. So some people dry preservative, which I think will be an episode two because I'm honestly kind of curious about that. But Regardless, you're taking all the fluid and such in the skin and removing it and refilling it with something that doesn't rot. Right. You're changing the structure of the proteins in that skin. Yes. That, I did give a redneck answer because you just gave a scientific <laughs> answer. Yeah, you take it out and then you put the other <laughs> you stuff put in. It back in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but that's, you're correct too though. Oh man, that's funny. But yeah, basically it's, the skin is tanned into, you know, hair on leather. Basically, if you see like a leather jacket, it's yeah. like the same thing. Leather shoes, you know, it's similar processes that yeah. go into both of those. All they did was just the process to take the hair off. So yeah, same deal. It's tanned skin. Yeah. Or like I said, the dry preservative, it's just all the moisture is yeah. taken out. I, th I think, I know, well, yeah, I know all the moisture is taken out, but then I don't know if it's really... I'm not sure. I don't know a lot about dry preservative, but regardless, if it's dried mm -hmm. out, like it's not attractive to bugs and stuff as much, I don't know. There's that. Yeah. Cause like even a, um, you know, a tan skin can attract yeah. insects and yeah. so can a dry preserved skin, you know, you hear that a lot sometimes. And so they're not, what's it, impervious to insects, but the skin won't rot if it was tanned correctly. Yes, exactly. So I would say let's move on to question number 13. Can you taxidermy a human? Uh, this I get this question a lot too. Can you taxidermy a human? And I kind of wanted to do like a full episode on this later, but short answer, maybe? What do you think? <laughs> what would you say? It is a maybe. I think the average everyday Joe can't taxidermy a human, but some like laboratory or our scientific research center can you know we should say it's not legal to taxidermy a person so just yeah you know this is all yeah. in theory right? yeah let's not create any <laughs> any new news lines nobody does this okay it's not legal don't attempt it and so but if it were you know legal let's just say and is it possible uh like you're saying 
could the average person do it? I don't I don't think so. I think if it was legal, you definitely could do it. I think so too. I'm in the camp. It's possible. It could be done. It would be really difficult because yeah. there is no, you know, hair yeah. to conceal any and kind of imperfection. Disgusting. <laughs> and and also very gross. Yeah. Could could I do it morally? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, at least like they don't have a human wouldn't have hair, but at least you have clothes. True. There'd yeah. be that. But yeah, so question legally, no. Question if it was legal, probably. Yeah. So uh, I know that's that's a weird question, but I get that question so much on my yeah. TikTok. Like, I don't know if y'all ever see, like you go to TikTok comments and then the top one says, like a search bar, human taxidermy at the top. So number 14 Question number 14, can you taxidermy roadkill? So my question to that is, depends on the state that you live in. Some states it's legal, other states you need to buy a permit. Um, like here in Pennsylvania, I'm not sure what the price is anymore, but it used to be like if you wanted a gray fox or a red fox or a coyote or something. Honestly, I'm not sure if coyote because they're open all season, but a fox maybe like 25 bucks or 50 bucks. Um, if you want to get a buck mounted that you hit with your truck it costs ten dollars a point oh that's interesting i've never heard of that system yep you know some states you're not even like really supposed to pick up roadkill at all like california you know i'm from there and there's no potential for getting like a salvage permit i think they're changing that though i think in like 2029 they're going to change that ruling Hmm. but as of right now, you can't pick up roadkill. Well, there's no force field around them. You can pick them up, but <laughs> you, you're not legally allowed to. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm guessing they just have like state workers go around and pick them all up? Probably not. Oh. Probably just they go to waste, unfortunately, which <laughs> really is, you know, is not cool. So, but yeah, you can, you know, physically taxidermy roadkill. But the thing is, you got to make sure it's like not super decayed yet, that it's, you know, still fairly fresh and that you know because unfortunately the you know with roadkill you don't know when it was killed when it was hit so determining if it's possible to taxidermy yeah and if it's the summertime you gotta think about how warm Mm. that road is Um, I know a lot of times that's when like fox pups or coyote pups or baby bobcats like get hit well if you go out in the morning and you're like oh there's a you know a dead baby fox pup kit whatever you want to call it laying on the road just because it's all loose and stuff like it might be good but it also might not be because of how hot that road was in the summer right so it's there's so many variables so like you know I don't really recommend people to pick up roadkill and try to taxidermy it but I mean you can if you kind of know what you're doing I do have a little bit of a quick story about roadkill stuff when I was driving through Texas one time I found that mountain lion on the side of the road and I flipped a Yui to go back to it because I kind of just saw it off on the side of the road. When I got to it, there was snow on the ground, but this animal was still warm. So I called Texas, you know, Fish and Wildlife, whatever, and they had a warden come out and then they took the mountain lion. I was like, really? Can I have this? And they said no. So I still think about that. So if you're out there, I'm still salty about that. I don't blame you. You were like score like i could get a mountain lion skin you know to do something with yeah i called you know the warden and was like you know hey look at this and and then i told somebody about that they're like well you can hunt mountain lions in texas so i don't know why they took it 
Yeah, you think they would have just been like, yeah, you know, pay us a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks to get like your sighties something or other. Oh, and I would have, yeah. I would have done that. I would have done that because, yeah. I mean, the alternative is paying thousands of dollars for either a Ugh. good hide or a hide or a hunt, you know, so. Yeah, and it was like a beautiful big cat. And <sighs> it was in the panhandle of Texas and they don't get a lot of cats up there. So I mm. think they were like, oh my God, it's kind of a rare thing. We need this. Damn, I thought Texas was supposed to be land of the free. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not for mountain lions. <laughs> Yeah, roadkill mountain lions. <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Mountain lion, uh... I don't know. <laughs> getting. <laughs> Procurement. That would be the fancy word. Possession of mountain lions, no. Yeah. <laughs> Darn. Question number 15. Can I have my dog or cat taxidermied? Um, yeah, you can. <laughs> not by me, but you can. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's not a maybe question. I mean, it is. It's, it's your animal. You're completely allowed to do whatever you want with it, I guess, once it's dead. There, I don't think there's any regulations that you can't. Yeah, I don't. Not that I know of. I would think if anywhere had it, it'd be a state like California. So you if you think, haven't heard yeah. of that. <laughs> no, I haven't. And so, you know, when people ask, like, can I have my dog or cat taxidermied? Or, you know, yeah, but finding a taxidermist who does that or at least does it well, that's the hardest part about the process of getting an animal taxidermied like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've taken in a couple of house cats, uh, but never thought I would. I just kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of a fun challenge, but also I kind of feel bad for the people because I don't know where else to send them sometimes for what they want. Oh, so you have taxidermied yeah. house cats before? I did one house cat and then I have two that I'm like working on currently. Were they similar to bobcats? Mm. Yeah. I mean, other than like I made the entire thing and I'll have to do that mm -hmm. the same like for the other two. They have to be bodies made and cast and sculpted and all that. But yeah, I mean, the skin was a lot like a bobcat. Hmm. How interesting. But yeah, so you you can. Would you ever do a dog, Heather, do you think? Man, like I don't know. Pet dog? I feel like if I had <laughs> endless time and resources, I would. I could never do my own dog. no. But, I mean, I would. I definitely would do mount a dog. But, like, again, you'd have to make everything. Yeah, that's the thing that I think people maybe don't realize. It's, like, how much custom work has to go into a dog or cat yeah. mount. Because they don't necessarily sell mannequin forms to fit a dog or cat. You have to modify everything or make something. Yep. It's just trickier. It requires a taxidermist who knows how to do that kind of stuff and is willing to do that kind of stuff. So it's actually, you know, it can be pretty expensive to get that kind of stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the money you have into either silicone or Bondo and foam and I just all the materials, it ends up being a lot. Yeah. Like if you're carcass casting, if you're wrapping a body, man, there's so much that goes into a custom piece. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Let's go to... Question number 16. How soon should I get an animal to a taxidermist? As soon as possible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, as soon as you possibly can. Yes, or you freeze it well, you wrap it, you know, it all depends. I always tell people it depends on your freezer whether or not it's going to get freezer burnt or not because we have had, we did at my old shop, for a nature center, there was like a little saw wet owl. They're very small, just little tiny owls. And it was in the freezer for like eight years. Wow. And it was fine. 
that's a really good piece of advice. Like it really depends on your freezer. Maybe it depends on what kind of animal it is. Like if it's like an owl that has a lot of like, you know, feathers and what do you call it? Like plumage. I don't know. They might be shielded against freezer burn better. But yeah, if you like, you know, let's say you harvest an animal, you got a deer. How soon should I get this to the taxidermist? As soon as you can. Like don't wait multiple days. If it's cold out, you know, I even hate saying if it's cold out because then somebody might, you know, say, oh, it's cold out, but I left it in the sun. Don't do that. You know, so like I try not to give any kind of advice like that. Like, you know, just bring it to the taxidermist as soon as possible. You know, most taxidermists know that like, especially during peak of deer season, they're going to be open way later. They can accept the deer, you know, past open hours, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, on the other hand, when your taxidermist isn't open, what I tell people, and I'm sure every other taxidermist is going to have their thing that they, that they say as well. But like you said, it should not be in the sun if it's cold out. Sun is bad. Black trash bags are bad. Yep. Because you think how hot it gets underneath a black trash bag. It can be pretty cold out. It could probably be zero degrees and that sun hits a black trash bag and it's going to heat it up. Yep. Moisture is bad. So don't sit your buck in a cooler with ice that's melting and then it's laying in water. That's no good. Oh gosh. Yeah. The worst. (laughs) Yes. I tell people, I say to be safe, refrigerator temperatures, I say no longer than three days. Um, I've had them that it's been a week. And they've developed a little bit of a weird smell. And I'm talking about like deer, you know, um, small mammals, stuff with like really acidic guts in them. That's a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to last that long. But if you have a white tail head or mule deer, whatever type of deer, uh, I say no longer than three days refrigerator temps, then you're starting to possibly you might bring it to your taxidermist and it's not going to be any good. Yeah. So that's, you know, like you're saying, um, don't put it in the black trash bag. I like those uh, cloth like game bags. Those are really mm. nice because they can let air flow through. And they also just don't allow like debris or dirt to get on the animal as well. But obviously those aren't like waterproof, like you're saying, don't yeah. want to get it wet. You know, just handling amount, it depends on like what your setup is and or handling an animal. I mean, depends on what your setup is. And uh, But yeah, the sun is equals bad <laughs> all the time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, moisture is bad. And don't let, you know, don't just have an animal drive around in the bed of your truck for a couple of days and, you know, yeah. go show all your friends. Like, no, you should go show your taxidermist first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he can get those antlers cut out for you and you can take them around for as long as you want. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as possible. Another little quick tidbit, if anybody's listening that's not a taxidermist, if you skin your deer in your driveway, like you're caping your buck out, or even honestly, like in the dirt, like... Just try to not have the skin come down and like land in your stones or the dirt. Like it just seems like that that underside, like the meat and the sinew and stuff, like just suck to anything. Yeah, because that skin, it's still damp. Yeah. Because surrounding the body and the body is mostly water and all that. So that skin is damp and it just, it's like glue. Like it attaches to gravel, dirt and all that and sticks to it. Yeah. And that is like a taxidermist's pet peeve. So it if you is. want to make good friends with your taxidermist, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. It's just, it sucks flushing them with all them rocks and stuff into there. So uh, I am going to move on to question number 17. This gives me a little bit of anxiety even just to read this from being backlogged myself. <laughs> <laughs> question number 17 is why does it take so long to get my mount back from the taxidermist? Yes. Another common question I get asked on social media and stuff, because I do those quick videos. You do them too. That like, 
oh, you mounted that in an hour? Why does it take so long to get my mount back from the taxidermist? Yeah. And there's so many factors that go into this. Do you want to kind of talk about some? Well, I know one factor is, of course, there, depending on your taxidermist, there's probably anywhere from 50 to 250 animals that came in before yours came in. Yeah. So, you know, they, of course, have their time before you and got to work through all of those, to be fair, to get to yours. And if something gets hung up, like, you know, the tannery runs late, they don't have the forms that you want. I know we've waited months for forms. Then that stuff before you gets backed up. And that just is a real domino effect. Yeah. And like you're saying, domino effect, that's a great way to put it. Taxidermists typically, like we said, are working with hunted animals and hunting season only lasts for a few months out of the year. So the whole, you know, workload for the whole year comes in in just a few months. And so you get multiple animals a day. You can't start on them right away. The process does take a long time. It's not like you can just taxidermy something in a day. There's tanning, like you're saying. And then if you tan yourself, tannery gets fogged up. That could take a while. Some tanneries, their turnaround time is like multiple months. So you got to wait on those. There's so many factors and it mostly has to do with like, you're waiting in line. Yeah. And then, you know, you always remember that as taxidermists, we work or most of us, like we work our butts off, but we also have lives too. (laughs) Yeah. Another good point. (laughs) You know, sometimes, you know, you're working seven days a week for months and months and months and you're still behind. You're a human being, like you deserve to go on a little vacation. So, you know, we try to make our customers happy, but there's sometimes your mental health needs to kick in too. And so just remember like taxidermists are people too. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great point. Like it's still just a job, you know, like um, luckily my customers, they're great. Like I've never had somebody say this to me, but I have seen other people where, you know, they'll post a picture of their them and their family. They took a vacation and somebody will comment, how can you have time to take a vacation when you should be finishing my mount? You know, and hey, no. <laughs> yeah, nothing feels worse than that. That just makes you feel like you're trying. We're already thinking about work on vacation. And then somebody mm-hmm. comments that and it just takes you down like a lot. <laughs> yeah. So there's just, yeah, so many factors. And then, well, another just quick point to that is like, when I post these videos or when you post these little quick videos of putting mounts together, there's so much work that goes into that mount before what I typically show and after. And so there's a lot of work that I just can't possibly show the whole process. I would bore you to death if I had a live feed going on when I mounted (laughs) this thing. (laughs) And so, you know, that, and then meeting up with customers, taking phone calls, like all that stuff just totally adds up. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Being like a one person shop, that really does add up. You know, that takes a lot of time out of your day that you don't even really realize, but it does. Yeah. And then like, even this podcast, we're doing this like on our weekends, you know, like on a free time. And like, I'm not taking time away from doing mounts to do this. This is my free time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Sunday. We Sunday afternoons. (laughs) This is what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So we got lives too. But all right, let's move on to... Question 18. Is taxidermy toxic slash safe to touch? Hmm. Well, one, I think there you could almost split this up. I feel like toxic slash safe to touch are kind of two very different things. So I am going to touch on the safe to touch part. Most taxidermy nowadays 
is yes, safe to touch, but also I say no, it's not safe to touch because you don't want to be touching it all the time. Just because you think of like if you look at handrails in public places, people are touching them all the time and they end up getting aged, you know? So yeah. what do you think is happening to your mount every time somebody's touching it and the oils from your hands are getting in that hair and it's just gonna age it? Like it just uh I so safe to touch. Yes, but also no. <laughs> yes, yes, but no. So like you're saying, your hands have oils, they have dirt, they have moisture, all that kind of stuff. And people think, you know, they see this beautiful like fox mount or something and they just want to run their hands through it. Well, while you can, you you literally can, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. You let, you know, all your relatives, all your friends touch it. Eventually it's going to get greasy and stuff and just get kind of dirty. So yeah, that's a good point. So then do you want to touch on the, like if they're toxic? Is taxidermy toxic? Not really. Like you touched on, you know, like old mounts, like pre, you know, common methods. Yeah, some of them might be toxic. They used like arsenic to preserve some of these animals back when. So sometimes they might be. So if you have a really old animal, you know, especially as taxidermists, when we're like redoing mounts, sometimes we got to be careful because we don't know what they used to even make the mount in the first place. And, yeah. you know, when you're chopping into the mount, dust is kind of flying into your face. That could be toxic dust. So we kind of have to be careful about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But kind of like you said, not many people are going to really encounter that. Um, not yeah. a lot of people have <laughs> ducks from the 1800s and like, because I think it was mainly honestly back in the 1800s and early 1900s that they did a lot of that arsenic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know the cutoff time for arsenic in taxidermy <laughs> mounts, but that was like the the standard way to preserve them was using arsenic. Yeah. And I think I could be wrong, but I think a lot of ta- uh I think a lot of taxidermists got arsenic poisoning from handling oh, I'm it too sure. much. I'm sure. I feel like most taxidermists now get stuff from all the other stuff that we're using. I know just for instance two skull cleaning guys that both got cancer who are like full time have been cleaning skulls for a long time but I think it was the same type of cancer too now thankfully we don't mess with the stuff that they're messing with to whiten all these skulls and to grease them but oh like all the bleach or that bleach yeah I think it's like the peroxide and and there's like yeah it just seems like a really strange coincidence that they both got the same type of cancer and they do the same type of job so Mm, yeah I'd be uh, a little suspicious of that as well yeah, so I ain't doing that. We will move on. Are you ready to move on to question 19? Yeah, let's move on to okay. 19. All right, so question 19 would be, what can I use to clean my mounts? What can you use to clean your mounts? Yes. So that's a great question. Get this question a lot, so much so that I made a video on this. I know, Heather, you made a video on this yes. too. Yeah, it was older, it was a few years ago, but yeah. Yeah, so it's... You know, it's a common question and rightfully so because these animals are made of organic material and, you know, you got to know how to clean them properly so that they don't fall apart. What I recommend people do, you know, get the dust off your mounts. You can use like a Swiffer and that's uh, pretty good. Like if you want to do like regular maintenance, like if you're a person who is good about dusting your house, just wipe down the mount real quick and always kind of, I mean, well, I'm talking about deer, I guess. They're maybe a little different. You can physically wipe down a deer, go with the hair patterns that's a good way to clean them off. Yeah, I would say like you, you kind of commented like short hair type of stuff. Uh, that's fine to kind of like wipe down. Um, I'll touch a little bit on if you have 
you know, bears, fox, coyotes, bobcats, you know, things with fur. I always tell people it depends on like your house too. Like, I don't know what everybody has at home. I usually tell people to use their shop vac and like put it on the blow setting and you can blow them off. That's something best to do like regularly so that you don't just end up like you wait a year or two and then you blow all this dust all over your house, (laughs) you know, off these mounts. Uh, But you can kind of like every few months or something, just kind of blow them off or, you know, even if all you have is a hairdryer, make sure it doesn't get too hot, blow them off with a hairdryer. If if you're able to take them out to your garage with an air compressor and kind of blow the dirt off. And then I always tell people to just get a Q-tip with a little bit of like Windex clean their eyes off but try to avoid the skin parts because there's paint and you might rub the paint off if you're rubbing that windex too hard right so that's you know you gotta just be super gentle with this stuff like you're saying you know you kind of want to do it regularly i like um canned air oh yeah that's, that's kind of nice yeah that's a good thought yeah because then it's like you know it's not going to work if they're completely dusty maybe yeah. but it's nice to just kind of like you blow off around the eyes and around the head and kind of down the back and whatever that's nice to just basically get the dust off. As far as like wiping down a mount, if you ever kind of want to do that, which maybe if it's a little dirty or whatever, I always recommend don't ever spray the mount itself. You know, use like a Windex or an all-purpose cleaner. I always recommend spraying like a rag or paper towel and then using that on the mount. Yeah, and avoid oily things. Yeah. Like, I know people wipe some down with Pledge. I'll do the antlers with Pledge, but... Yeah. If you get, if it's too much pledge, it's going to get in the hair and it's just then going to cling to dirt and not be so good. Yeah. You hear pledge being kind of thrown around a lot for cleaning and which, yeah, you can kind of use it, but like you, I don't really recommend it unless you're just doing the antlers. And again, spray it on a rag first and then wipe down the antlers. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. The only thing I spray on my mounts is if I have like a hair sheen, you know, like, Mm, yeah. Like, Oh my gosh, Shoshin or Cowboy Magic or something. You know, I'll yeah. miss that and avoid the face. And then I'll do the face with like a damp rag with it. And that gives them a little extra sheen. Yeah, because, you know, the we got so much like, you know, paint and other kind of um, sensitive areas around the eyes and nose and even like the inner ears. So avoiding that, if you can, is the way to go. Yeah. yeah. But of course, those areas get dirty. So like you're saying, use a Windex on a Q-tip. Just be super gentle. Yep, exactly. Uh, let's move on to question 20. Can I wash my mounts? So I'm going to say that like, I'm just going to say no. So yeah. I made a video. <laughs> Don't a little, do it. <laughs> I made a video a little bit ago about I was washing a antelope and it was just, you know, one of them deals where it was dried for maybe a week or two and we didn't have the time to wash it when I mounted it. So we washed it afterwards. And the amount of people that I had asking oh, can I do that to my stuff? Can I do that to my stuff? Like I would, some of them would probably be fine, but I just would not chance it. Cause one, no. <laughs> if you had to, if you had to blow dry it with like a hairdryer, like, oh, uh, I just, so much could go wrong. Yeah. Like how I just did with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm with you. My answer to that question is just basically, no, we do it as taxidermists due to the process of taxidermying, you know, we're not doing it to clean a dirty mount necessarily, or if we are, it's, we're cleaning a dirty mount and going to redo some of the, we know what to do if it doesn't go well. Exactly. So I always say, you know, nope, 
leave that to a taxidermist. You know, if your mouth is super dirty where you need it cleaned, take it to a taxidermist to get bathed. Yeah. Because like you said, you know, I only wash mounts before the finishing process anyway. So I haven't even painted the face. I haven't even epoxied anything. It's always prior to that and after the mm-hmm. mounting process. Yeah, we, you know, we both post videos of washing animals and people think, oh, I can do that. No, don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just that's not going to go well. Like I know I saw there was one of this like uh, how to restore an old mount on those like five minute crafts or something. Oh, and I know yeah. I did that reaction video to that. And oh, my gosh, they washed it. It was like an old, I guess it was a caribou. And they washed it. And then they show it there, like a little clip of the person blow drying it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that would take forever. <laughs> You'd be blow drying that thing for like three hours. That's well, I just did that bobcat. And I only have the blow dryer. And I'm like in denial, like, I don't need a pet dryer. I can just do the blow dryer. No, I really need a pet dryer. I need <laughs> yeah. to stop sleeping on that. Because it did, yes. it probably took me a couple hours, which was fine. I kind of enjoy that part, but you got, so yeah, when, you know, for any taxidermists out there, if you wash your mounts, you got to make sure they are completely like dry. Like that hair is dry. You can't just yeah. stop midway yeah. and let it dry. And so no, it has to be completely dry. So that's, it can be a little bit of a process. Yeah. Yeah. That, that it can. That leads us to our last question of the day. And that is question number 21. How long does a taxidermy mount last? That's a great question. (laughs) I've been told with these modern methods that we use, a taxidermy mount should last a lifetime. Of course, it matters, you know, how it's taken care of, how it was mounted in the first place. Those are all factors to consider. But, you know, really they should mount or they should last your whole lifetime. You could pass it on to your kids, pass it on to their kids. Like if it's... Like we're saying, if it's kind of cleaned up, dusted off frequently, if it's not in the sun, if it's not subject to a bunch of temperature fluctuations. Yeah, all that can definitely wreak havoc on them. And you do got to remember, like, if you ever see, you know, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, like they're starting to like crack a little bit around like the maybe the nose or the eyes or even like the ears. You just have to remember like that is leather. If you have it somewhere that it's, really getting super dried out day after day after day or year after year like it's there's a good chance that the skin could possibly crack because it is a hard dry hard dry material that if it gets some moisture and then it gets taken away and moisture and taken away like that's a lot of flexing for something to not ever crack yeah the moisture humidity if you're in a humid climate it might be subject to more humidity fluctuations temperature fluctuations yeah, like people, you know, you hear about you don't hang your deer mount up over a fireplace or a wood stove. That just ends up, I don't, it just does a lot of bad stuff to them. Yeah, you know, everyone kind of thinks of, oh, you know, the deer mount above the fireplace. Can't wait to hang this mount above the fireplace. No, don't do that either because that could ruin the lifespan of your mount. Yep. And the sun is bad. Uh, so many beautiful elk and mountain lions and deer that have just turned to you know horrible white blonde colored or um you ever see old mounts that have been like in a bar you know when they had uh, smoking and so uh, then you get mounts yeah. that they absorb all that smoke and that super affects the integrity of the mount yeah. too <laughs> you have a hair unless it's like an impenetrable like tar that you can't yeah. hardly it turns yellow yeah and then then bugs like we kind of talked about 
they can wreak havoc on stuff. That's probably a good episode for some other time too. Just kind of the bugs to watch out for in your mounts and in your homes. That would be to touch on that even more. It's hard to say exactly how long these mounts are going to last because I think just in the last like even 30, 40 years, maybe just a little longer than that, the process of taxidermy has changed quite a bit. You know, the way we preserve the skins and different methods have changed. So it's hard to kind of give an accurate answer because we just don't know yet for these, you know, modern mounts that we're putting together. Um, A lot of older mounts have held up pretty good, like from the 50s and stuff considerably, but they were using kind of different methods sometimes. So it's hard to accurately say. Yeah. And actually, you know, if you think about that, it's almost like trucks and cars were made a lot better back then with different That's materials. That's a good point. <laughs> so yeah. new materials, new materials don't always mean, I hope they mean better better yeah but i hope it's not like the new cars where they're like yeah you know, they die after five years yeah so we you know we may not know yeah. for sure until 80 years down the line are those mounts still good are they still holding up do they look exactly the same or have they kind of shifted a little bit or we'll see yeah <laughs> it should last a lifetime though yeah only time will tell well that about wraps up our episode for today with the 21 frequently asked questions about taxidermy. We would like to thank you for listening to our new podcast Wildverse. We hope that you enjoyed learning a little bit about the questions we get asked very frequently on our social media platforms. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, you can follow us at Wildverse Taxidermy Podcast or on Instagram at Wildverse Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Wildverse Podcast, to see when new videos come out if you would like to watch along with us. Or you can leave us some love on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen by leaving us a review. Thank you guys so much for watching. Hope you have a great week. Bye.